and thanks for being here at this uh, bright and early morning after the night before. Um, uh, I have the happy duty to introduce this morning's plenary speaker to you, Wolf Kansteiner. We're very fortunate to have him with us um, in um, the present very exciting emerging field of the, uh, of the area between formal academic history writing and the general societal forms of culture and collective memory. Wolf has been one of the key players for decades. Uh, specifically uh, in his work on the uh, uh, various uh, cultural and uh, professional ways of commemorating the Holocaust, which is a fraught field that goes back to the debates between Hagen Light and, and Saul Friedlander, and Wolf has been one of the uh, sharpest and, uh, in many senses of the word, one of the most analytical and one of the most provocative uh, voices in this debate. So, very happy to have him with us here. He um, uh, moved from Binghamton to Aarhus, where he is now a professor. And we just decided to um, check out what we, how we could introduce speakers if we just Googled them on, uh, on the internet. And I'm afraid I didn't find anything really amusing. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I did hit on Break My Professor, uh, where there's just some outdated stuff where the uh, one comment was uh, on Professor Kansner, most talented lecturer on the face of the planet. Take his class. He's amazing and will give a new perspective to the Holocaust. So, so, so amazing. I took his class five years ago. I'm now in law school, and he still comes to mind when I think of amazing academic minds. That's how you, obviously, you inspired them. You didn't do much for their English prose, but uh, 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 I'm sure we're going to have great profit by listening to Professor Wolf Kansner. Wonderful to have you with us. Now that was a fantastic introduction, I have to say, and I, and I didn't even pay that student. <laughs> Perfect. Um, I, I was very intrigued yesterday already as we, as we began, how, how very nicely uh, some of the things that I'm trying to develop dovetail uh, with the picture with the papers we heard yesterday, both with this idea of, of the, the staying power of stereotypes, which is also something I will, of course, uh, engage with, and also um, the importance of the power of language in, in framing our agendas and framing our stereotypes types and misperceptions. As a memory uh, study scholar, for me, of course, as a point of departure, is always the memory, uh, that the memory is a decisive factor uh, in our problems. So what I will try to do uh, very specifically is to look at the so-called so-called migration crisis, uh, both migration and crisis, I think, should be in quotation marks now, very problematic terms, um, look at those, uh, at that situation from the perspective of memory and see how that might perhaps slightly change um, our awareness, not just of the problems, but also maybe our awareness of possible solutions. So I, in that sense, uh, uh, for once, I'm, I'm trying to be just a little bit optimistic because I want to emphasize, as is habit in memory studies, the malleability of memories, which also gives us a, a great deal of responsibility as to our future memories, but also, perhaps, hopefully, a great deal of agency as to how we can shape uh, migration memories very differently so that they can actually sustain um, integration processes and movement of people processes much more easily than they have in the past. So, on the one hand, this is, a, this is an indictment of our highly problematic collective memories, and on the other hand, I will try to uh, end on a note 
where trying to outline some relatively simple strategies that have not been used on a large scale of how to do memory of people movement somewhat differently. Good. With that, uh, let me just quickly do the layers I'm trying to cover. Uh, first, the axioms, some of the things I've already said. Then I want to uh, embark on a theoretical excursion. Uh, this is a, a kind of, uh, maybe a little bit of work of, of intellectual archaeology. Um, the word, of course, susikol, uh, is already quite a difficult one to come to terms with. Then I want to focus, of course, on the empirical field I know best, uh, the movement of people in Germany, purposefully, of course, I'm not talking about migration. I want to then look a little, look a little bit closer uh, at uh, prime time crime, which is one of the genres where I would argue alterity is negotiated first and foremost. And then look at context and conclusions. Depending how much time we have, I have also uh, a little excursion prepared, and we'll see if that's possible. Which brings me to the question, when do I have to stop? <laughs> so, um, we have, we have a, a bit more than an hour for your talk yeah. and discussion. Okay. So, three quarters of an hour for you, and then, Perfect. And then Perfect. time for discussion. I will do that, and I will follow order. <coughs> now, let's, uh, there should be a question mark there. Let's uh, begin with some facts, because in one of my previous life, of course, I, I was a historian. I'm a historian, so let's begin with facts, and I think those are very important facts, and we have to remember them. Unfortunately, remembering facts will never bring about policy changes, but for us, I think it's a very important point of departure. So if we're looking at the refugee situation in Europe in 2015, then we have generously estimated a million refugees uh, arriving. Those are million plus, it's not that important, but that number of refugees represent about 3% of refugees worldwide at that point in time. People displaced by one catastrophe or another. Uh, and those, that million came into the European Union, a, a size of 500 million people, uh, roughly uh, representing almost a quarter of the wealth of the world. And 500 million is not a quarter, and the territory is not a quarter. What is the conclusion? The conclusion is very, very simple. Uh, there is nothing, nothing in those parameters, nothing that suggests that the so-called refugee crisis is anything, is a material crisis, is anything that is taxing anybody's resources. This is far from the truth. You know, it's very, very easily, easily absorbed. And as I will try to argue uh, now is that Europe, of course, has managed to absorb many, 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 many more people in its history. Uh, and it is all about the question of how the movement of people is called, how it's narrativized, what kind of categories are created about inside and outside that determine if arrivals can be integrated or not. So there's a lot of uh, imaginary play uh, here at work. But this is not maxed out, by not even close to it, and never will be. So here again, some of the main uh, <coughs> hypotheses um, that these kinds of facts and numbers only make sense because they are integrated in narratives and metaphors and memory. They're created in memory. Uh, it's culture that shapes this. It is not the data that shapes it. It is culture. It's our culture that is shaping and determining through scripts and categorization how migration and settlement processes uh, play out. And that's, so to speak, from the memory studies point of view, it's extremely important <coughs> to look how dynamics of uh, 
migration memory have been dysfunctional, dysfunctional vis-a-vis -vis probably our political purposes here, and what memories do we need? And then, of course, uh, the conclusion also from a severely constructivist point of view is there shouldn't be any problems in creating those memories for us. So culture matters. That's, of course, in this building at this location, that's important. We have to repeat it every day, but uh, it's, it's all important to all of us. For me, it's all about memory. And, of course, many of the things and categories we've used are, are highly, highly problematic. And uh, we'll see how that develops. Now, this is, uh, we have already determined yesterday over dinner that all our routes, for some reason or other, bring us back to the Ruhr Valley District in Germany. Um, this is another of these markers of the Ruhr Valley District. Out of curiosity, how many people here know this person? Personally or memory? No, haven't met, met, met his research. Know his research. Okay, that's, pretty, that's fairly good. That's fairly good. I've talked about him in other contexts where he was even more obscure. In my view, this is one of the most productive uh, structuralist, post-structuralist theoreticians in Germany, period. Um, he uh, had all his career, spent all his career in the Ruhr Valley, first in Bochum, uh, then in Dortmund at the university. He must be now approximately 75, 76 years old. He also wrote a fascinating uh, autobiography about his experience in 68. And he studied in France with all the you know big names of, of post-structuralism. And he has, in kind of in a, in a side work, um, this is connected to his main themes, but in a, in a kind of an exercise, an intellectual exercise in his own obscure journal that is uh, provocatively entitled Kulturrevolution, Cultural Revolution, he has in the mid-1980s developed, early, early 1980s, mid-1980s, he has developed what to this day I still find the most stunning, most compact structuralist analysis of how societies deal by way of symbols with alterity. And that, that, he, did, or that he did in the context of a, another so-called uh, asylum crisis in the 1980s, long forgotten, of course. Now, his key, the key term that he uses in that, in that context is this zysipod, the synchronic system of collective symbols, which is a highly, highly efficient way, according to Link, of communicating especially in mass communication. Um, we are all so carefully attuned to the symbols that we can understand them in a flash of a second. This, the similar way, that's now my comparison, the same way that we can understand when we turn on the television what genre of television program we are looking at. Uh, research shows it takes it just a fraction of a second before we know this is a talk show, this is fiction, this is you know, documentary, extremely efficient in picking up those uh, codes, and the same is true for that system. So you don't have to realize the whole uh, symbolism for people to understand it very quickly. That's why it's so powerful, for instance, in journalism. Uh, it's used all the time. And it produces, that's, I think, maybe Link's most important uh, production contribution, it produces normality. The system is, is producing normality, producing extremely efficient uh, categories and borders, and the system is not, is not leveled. The system is not, it's stacked, it's stacked, so to speak. If I would assume for a moment that we work somewhere on the question of migration integration, the system is systematically stacked against us. It is not a level playing field. And this is, of course, one of the problems. And then, as a footnote, I find it very interesting, 
the system does not understand irony. Uh, and that makes some of our own perceptions as academics onto the scene sometimes highly problematic because for all kinds of reasons, irony is one of our most important modes of uh, assuring our own identity and it's a bad tool when it comes to dealing with Sysikol and <coughs> trying to find others. Now here we have an, an authentic document. Uh, an authentic document, this is, uh, this is Link's... Uh, a system as he produced it very, very quickly in that journal in a relatively short piece. And I think it, it includes um, a fantastic summary condensation. It's, so to speak, its own uh, a condensation of how alterity is negotiated. There's first and foremost, this is all, unfortunately all in German, there's first the inside. And the inside is often um, represented by vehicles, ships, cars, planes. Uh, submarines, uh, buildings, and so on. That's, that's the inside, the inside system. Uh, and the inside, of course, has a center. Could be a heart, can be an engine. Um, that's where it's most alive and what's most important for that system. It has always an outside. It has another, it has very often an outside system. And these things are developed or are not developed. During the Cold War, this was very clearly. The outside system was extremely important symbolically. But now we have range, we have moved to a different one, different situation, which Link already anticipated, and that is the border of the system. And it's all already here in the 1980s. This is the terrorism border, this is the uh, violence border, this is the fanaticism border, this is the extremism border. This is the, all these terms, of course, are key terms when it comes to understanding our situation at the moment, and they are already all developed here. And then there's some nice little details in that system as well. Um, you know, you have threatening uh, people inside. He had gave this provocatively the word concentration camp, uh, where, where dangerous elements are contained. You have exposed elements of the system outside. You have a sense of movement, progress. I have no idea to this day why Link was putting that towards the left and not the right. Um, and you have all kinds of you have all kinds of outsides, right? That is chaos, flood, fire, volcano, storm, all these kinds of symbols. These are the symbols that are being developed. This is where the where the um, where the fight takes place. And then you have I should I should uh, mention that you have the authentic attempts of a helplessly confused undergraduate trying to make sense of that in the early 1980s. <laughs> Very authentic. I haven't tried to read those, my remarks in a long time. But uh, the system, I think, is th these remarks are absolutely ingenious. I think they're still an extremely good summary um, of the situation. Now for my, I want to use them, of course, again, through my memory lens, which was not, not that important for Link, and through my memory lens uh, it's very important how, how movement of people is, uh, is remembered, is managed as a memory, and of course a lot of that remembering is misremembering. I, that's normal. We cannot but misremember. The question is how we misremember and in which direction we misremember. And very important are here, of course, the insight, the fictions of stability that are, that are being created, and the categorization. Um, the question of what is what are inevitable, it's very important. Inevitable movement of people is a very, very important script because inevitability are the movements of people that are forgotten. It is, so to speak, what is, what is uh, um, 
constructed and called optional, those are the ones uh, that are often uh, highly problematic, and then, of course, desirable and undesirable. But more important is the inevitability, I think. And so the system creates a script. The system creates a system for remembering and forgetting. And, and forgetting is at least as important, if not more important, than remembering. Forgetting is actually maybe our only option in the current political situation. Now, applied to the question of movement and the so-called migration crisis and the question of movement of people across the long history of the 20th century, it is very important how to see what are the movements that the system forgets and that are, what are the movements that the system highlights, especially as highly problematic. And I will go through these categories now uh, one by one. And I think it's very important to recognize that there is a clear hierarchy these are movements of people that the system forgets. Forgets, for example, because these people are hardly ever called migrants. And you can't, if, here the translation is very important. I think the German word migranten is a lot worse than the English word migrants, because the German word migranten, that also rhymes with asylanten, simulanten, all kinds of negative words. It's a highly problematic term. And and it's not used here. These are not. These are other groups and other categories that are very important. I'll, I'll go through them. But I would count soldiers. World War II soldiers among these groups. Ex-police, of course. World War II ex-police. GDR refugees. Aussies. They're a little bit more ambivalent. And I love this term. That's my favorite one. Uh, belated resettlers. Um, I mean, you, you have to. You have to give the system credit here for being highly creative, right? I mean, you, you could call these people completely differently. But the German term is Spätaussiedler. You know, that's, a, that's, something, that's something cute. I mean, Spätaussiedler is not the kind of word where you feel very threatened by a Spätaussiedler. They kind of belong to you. So the term is already programmed, yes. Then you have a, then you have a lot of uh, much more ambivalent uh, movement people. The Aussies, I would say, are here. Uh, EU migration can work in different ways. Um, refugees is already a somewhat problematic term. And then you have the highly problematic one. Uh, forced laborers, guest workers, which is strangely problematic, despite the fact that it's also relatively cute. And then, of course, asylum seekers, the German Asylanten, is highly problematic. So how does the system do this? And very important, we shouldn't uh, lose track of the facts, uh, the numbers. Because I think the numbers are extremely telling. Rough estimate, you have 18 million soldiers that are moving massively and violently moving around. We're talking just about German soldiers. They're demobilized, they come back. Uh, some, of course, do not come back. And they are turned into culture. You know, they're turned into culture over many, many years. And then, we can go, can't go into the details here, but one of the fantastic story of German primetime television. Near more primetime than off primetime. One of the great accomplishments of German primetime television is how that symbolic machine turns the military of the Third Reich and the Nazis into a collective of bystanders, essentially. It, it is really a fantastic. I mean, it's a footnote. We might not have time to talk about it here. But the way that primetime television creates a system of normality where the soldiers are very, very effectively, symbolically, visually, taken away from the crimes and actually often realigned with eyewitnesses of the, of the victims. That is a fantastic accomplishment of historical imagination. That's the footnote here. 
But of course, these people are never problematic movers. They are not, uh, they are not problematic uh, to, to integrate, despite the fact, of course, there were plenty of problems integrating the soldiers back into society after World War II. Then you have the ex-police, that's 40 million uh, people, roughly estimated, maybe a million and a half, did not survive, but you have plenty, large numbers arriving. These are stock photos, by the way. All these photos I'm using are photos that have been used in television documentaries in Germany as well. We don't have that many photos, so these are, some of them are very famous. And that's then also turned into prime time fair. This is a program, for example, uh, from 2007. There is, of course, as we recognize immediately, the link to Tatort, right? Yeah. Because we have one of the Tatort uh, investigators here being featured very prominently. Uh, and, and here again, um, you know, even the English title I find extremely revealing, March of Millions. This is kind of organized. You know, this, is, this is purposeful. This is not chaotic that, that happened there. Uh, these people were essentially uh, coming home which is true and is not true. You could have remembered and scripted this very, very differently. Many, many communities have scripted that very differently. Very important now, and that links nicely to yesterday, I thought, the symbols of permanence and, and domesticity. That is extremely important. These symbols, the ex-police then getting their villages, creating their villages and creating their homes, um, their institutions, their rituals, and that one of the way, of course, of, of uh, uh, introducing, integrating um, these people who have been on the move, who were on the move, and whose integration initi initially in many parts was uh, actually highly, highly problematic. Here are my, my cutest, cutest category, the so-called belated, uh, belated resettlers, um, that, that are also, the system scripts them as clearly inside. You know, clearly inside. You know, no criticism of these people, but you know, the, the link, so to speak, you know, the, the argument always is, you know, yeah, but they are German, you know, so it should be easy to integrate them. Well, it might come as a surprise. To many, they are not. You know, they, they are, they, their cultural and linguistic skills of many of those people when they arrived were uh, nearly non-existent. And, and that's fine. I think the strategy is perfectly fine. I'm, I'm very happy. I'm using this as a positive example. The system can uh, script the <coughs> substantial numbers of people differently than threat. You know, this is not this is not this is not scripted as a threat. And one shouldn't forget um, the refugees. That is, the people moving out of East Germany while East Germany still existed, uh, before the war was built, and even afterwards. Afterwards, of course, the numbers uh, are down to a trickle, but uh, all these people were integrated into West German society. So you find yourself, you find yourself in a situation where uh, you have a reduced country right, in terms of space. Large parts of it are destroyed. And that country is integrating between 15 and 20 million people on the move, which means every single family, every single family, including every family in Germany today, is basically closely, intimately linked to processes of migration, right? to processes of, of movement. And here comes, the, here comes the beautiful thing. The culture does not remember that. The culture allows for the construction of a fiction of continuity, homogeneity, and spatial solidity, to the point that that society, up until a few years ago, almost as a consensus declares itself 
a society of non-migrants. That, that is one of the decisive... So, so here's a society where almost everybody was existentially involved in processes of massive dis, massively disruptive movements. Right? And the society comes together and declares itself to be a society of non-migration. Now, that, of course, was done in a context of other people coming. And the society says, no, we are settled, we have always been settled, and you are the outside. So the system, in that sense... Uh, works, works very well. But we have to turn it upside down. We have to, so to speak, re-script the system and make it very, very clear that, no, fact, I mean, all of these people are migrants. They, they all have been migrated. They all have that kind of background. They all have the experience. How can we, so to speak, turn that upside down? That, I think, that is, so to speak, the symbolic challenge uh, that one faces now. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't help that. That's just, so to speak, a, a, an extra number. Um, is the movement of when the when Aussies finally, when the wall breaks, when the wall falls, and Aussies are on the move. I find very, very interesting. This number is even even more pronounced by now. 3.4 million go to the west, and uh, only about 2 million stay. And I think at this stage it's even even fewer than that. The vast number of people returning uh, to East Germany. So here's, here's already where it becomes very, very interesting and very, very tricky. Um, because the Aussie experience, now not the refugees, not the refugees uh, doing uh, the existence of the GDR, but the Aussies, when the wall fell, have a very, very ambivalent uh, status. I want to add one footnote to the previous fiction of homogeneity. Of course, that fiction was so powerful in scripting integration, in part, because that fiction was also a powerful tool to avoid the very problematic memories of national socialism for many, many years. So this fiction of homogeneity, which is an apologetic fiction of German collective identity, and in that sense politically maybe highly problematic, is at the same time a script that allows for integration to pro uh, progress very effectively. Now back to the ambivalence here. Um, here you have you know, the happiness. You have here already a little bit, you know, there's a lot of people that are being represented here. And here you have actually a dangerous uh, collective of mostly men behind bars. This is, already, this is already a highly loaded picture. This is, of course, the picture behind the embassies, yeah. embassy picture. But the picture, the picture has completely different connotations, potentially, than those pictures. And completely different than those. This is, this is threatening, potentially quite threatening. A lot, you know, pictures have no meaning. Pictures have no stable meaning. It's the, the pictures, photos assume meaning by the context, by the script that they are, they are included into. A famous, uh, famous uh, insight from uh, W.J.T. Mitchell. And so this one can be easily pushed into, past, into, into contexts of, of threat. And it was, and it was not. Yes, yeah, just numbers of EU immigration, which is not, uh, not that important. <coughs> and the interesting thing is perhaps the absence often of visuality around this. These are often not focal points. And again, the forgetting is very important. This is one chapter of the movement of people around Europe that for many years was completely forgotten, including, by the way, completely forgotten to this day in German memory, is the fact that hundreds of thousands of the forced labor stayed in Germany after uh, the end of World War II, because they simply was much too dangerous for them to go home. So this was a substantial uh, immigration of people completely outside of, you know, this 
the, the former Volksgemeinschaft, because that, you know, the Nazi ideology is also an element that is included in the fiction of homogeneity after World War II. Right? Again, one has to recognize that that high ambivalence, highly problematic terms, actually work for the process of integration after 1945. And now we come to a group that is, so to speak, already problematic. Uh, that is already problematically remembered uh, in the memory of people movements uh, in Germany. And one of the, I, I, I think, I have a student working on this topic right now, and her uh, hypothesis is one of the very important uh, problems, and this would very nicely jive with what we have argued yesterday, is the markers of, uh, of transience that is from the beginning scripted into this. So, so it is the guest component of the work that has become an extremely problematic element because it's scripted non-integration, non-equality from the very get-go. It's scripted the expectation of a re-movement, right? And, and, you know, just imagine, it's extremely important to be counterfactual here. Imagine you would have scripted the arrival of especially Turkish people would have scripted that very differently, scripted that into the context, long context of very, very close industrial relations between Germany and Turkey, which, which is a fact you can use, right? And scripted this, so to speak, as a, as a, as a transfer, as an inevitable arrival of absolutely needed help, which it was. You know, that's not a factual inaccuracy. Uh, I think the outcome would have been very, very different than it is today, which is still uh, extremely extremely problematic today in the society. And then look at the numbers. I mean, look at the numbers, right? I mean, you're talking a handful of people. Many of them have returned in the meantime. And um, that creates a problem because it's scripted as a problem. It's not because the number is anywhere anywhere large. And then, of course, this, this, is, this is the situation. This is the visual, symbolic situation we find ourselves in right now. You, you, you couldn't, I mean, if, if, if you take Link's system and try to paint the worst-case scenario, this is it, right? And, and we, have it. we have the images now, and, and the media are using them. Uh, they, you have to give a lot of media credit for using these images actually rather carefully, uh, but they are being used, and they are extremely uh, problematic. So these are, these are the asylum seekers. And yet, again, look at the numbers, you know, yeah? You had it in the, in, the, in the 1990s, almost the same size, you know, very substantial. This is, when, this is when Link was developing his theory, because at that point in time, there was already a vast outcry in the early in the 1980s in society. I mean, not because the numbers objectively were any problematic, because they were perceived as such. And so you have other uh, crisis moments long forgotten that uh, have not caused the same problems partly because they were not integrated into the same kind of media context. I think one decisive difference also is, and this makes images like this much more powerful, is that we are in a social media context where these images have a life on their own. I mean, digital memory, digital memory has a dynamics we have never seen before. I mean, never seen before. And we've just talked about it. Uh, the, the ability of digital memory to go, to go viral negatively is, is stunning. Uh, very tricky. We, it's tricky to follow and try to, um, to script venues of virality that are positively scripted in this. It's very, very important. The system is stacked against us. That's, I, I think, it's very important to remember. 
Here again, uh, I had this, I swear, I had these images before you spoke yesterday, <laughs> and I wanted to emphasize exactly the same point. The slide has not changed since yesterday. Those are exactly highly dangerous images, right? And I, I want to contrast the images of these tents and the decision to go to tents. And this is not coincidental. And then, of course, the tents burning, which is, which is, a, which is symbolically, it's a, it's a disaster. That has to be confronted with the houses, you remember, right? Of the ex-release, the little nice houses. That's symbolically, those are worlds apart. The house people belong, these do obviously not belong. So just for that reason, using tents is a disaster. It's a symbolic disaster. Yeah, and then of course you have those. Those, those, are, the now, those are now the constellations we are dealing with, right? I would argue these links have been made. These links are already embedded in our minds. They're embedded in all our minds. There is the, there is the image of the Susisical boat. It's right here, right? The, the boat is full, the boat is, the, the boat, is, boat is sinking, the boat is drowning. All the symbols are realized here fantastically. You have the violence, you have you know, an individual that could have very well been in the boat, and you have the violence, and this is fused. Now, you say, yeah, but it's all true. I mean, the guy is from Tunisia, and, and he is a criminal, and whatever else. That's not the point. The point is the fusion that is being made because between an, an indi individual event and some kind of mass movement of people. And to prove my point, I want to now use a slide that I shouldn't. It's, it's almost irresponsible. And, and, and really, this has to be, this is, I, I can't undo it once you've done it, but I want to test it. And I want to emphasize that in so many other cases, we are precisely not going that route. And it's the system that tells us that this is a natural association of markers, of meaning. We assume this as natural because it's our media context. But look at this, something like this. Nobody, our collective system has not created that as a meaning yet. And I hope it's never going to happen. What is that? These are, this is, these are the, the German right-wing terrorists who killed what, 10 plus people uh, in the course of many years, deeply affiliated with the German secret police. I mean, she is now on trial. The other ones, of course, are dead. This is the NSU, uh, the NSU perpetrators. This is one victim being, uh, being taken uh, away. And this is the mass of East Germans we saw earlier, right? I mean, you could easily script precisely this. Not a problem. The system could do this very, very elegantly. It's because our borders broke down, all the all East Germans got out, and that's why we have to deal with these kinds of problems. Right? We don't go there. We don't do this. Because it is not within the same symbolic realm. The system creates fairly clear borders when it comes to this kind of symbolization and employment. We don't go there. But we could. We could go there with the same justification that we go here. Right? It's the same. It's, it's completely arbitrary. These choices, these constellations, these employments are arbitrary. There is nothing objective about them. So therefore, the counterfactual is important. And now, now forget it, please. <laughs> I've never shown you this, right? <coughs> Um, now, what's so interesting about the German case, of course, and that's where Holocaust memory comes in, that the German memory situation has problems. It has problems when it comes to movement and when it comes to migration, because there are so many different registers, and that's probably true for all kinds of cultures, but in Germany it's particularly pronounced. You have, you know, you have very famous migrants, right, who, who also were refugees and saved themselves, and especially for intellectuals, those are important markers. 
you have established Holocaust memory that, uh, that is scripting German society towards a certain kind of tolerance towards uh, uh, prosecuted minorities. And then you have this kind of image that is the undifferentiated mass and that is threatening behind, um, behind the fence. And that's the German system. You can, you can hear it creaking. You can hear it you know, trying to come to terms with that. That makes Germany so interesting because many other systems do not have that ambivalence. That's why the German case, once again, is actually quite interesting because it leads to pictures like those. Right? And those pictures, these are for the system. I mean, the system is just going, you know, it, I mean, a white woman touching an immigrant, darker-skinned man. This is for the system. This is, this is almost very difficult to address. Yeah? This, is, this is cataphretic, if there ever was cataphasia. This is the beginning. By the way, these kinds of images have become extremely dangerous for some of the, for some of the men. There, there exist a number of them. You might have heard about the one case where one uh, Syrian refugee had created a, or took a selfie with, uh, with Merkel, and that selfie had gone viral uh, in the, uh, on, online, where, where he has been identified variously as one of the attackers from Nice or as other uh, attackers in other places. So, so, and I think that's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. This is such a provocation to the system that it has to try to find a violent way around that. And that's, uh, that was one of, it's not this picture, there's another picture, very famous. I mean, you, you can find it very, very quickly. Okay, now, briefly, to prime time crime. Prime time is extremely important. Prime time television is still extremely important. Television is still extremely important, especially in conjunction with social media. For young people, television consumption without social media doesn't work, but with social media it works actually very well, which explains why television consumption in many countries is actually up and not down, because it is integrated. It's a, it's a multimedia constellation. Now, crime is so important because crime, uh, after the deregulation of the, the television markets uh, in, in, across Europe, across the world, crime is the one thing that sells. That's why you can watch crime shows every night. And crime shows are the place where the other is named, created, and visually represented. Therefore, it is the one of the most important places, arenas, for the negotiation about who's inside and outside in the system, who is welcome mover and who is not. And it creates what I call an instant memory. So, so it kind of prescripts how we respond, for example, to people in movement and to others. And it also creates a memory. And it's reinforcing itself as a feedback loop very quickly. It's also, unfortunately, a deeply racist system. The last point, forget about that. There is an, there is an exception in that, in that discourse about Holocaust, but we don't have time to talk about it. This is the last cutout. This is the last card dot. Uh, you know, last, last here, 5th of, of March. I purposefully watched it very closely. It is exactly, when you look at the history of the representation of others and outsiders and migrants in Tatort, this is an archetypical storyline. The storyline about foreigners bringing their problems to Europe and fighting in, on European soil their fights and in the process victimizing the, so to speak, the us. Right? This is extremely reactionary, well-made, reactionary Swiss television. Now, it's very elegant that I can point to Switzerland here and do this. This was an element about uh, Chechenia. So the yeah. Chechenians coming and the Chechenians fighting in Switzerland and you know, creating, uh, shooting each other and jeopardizing uh, the lives of the positively connoted 
uh, integrated minorities. Now, the world of typeload is, uh, maybe we think it's complex, but it is really not complex. It begins with the investigators. They are almost all white. There are two, three exceptions in the history of Tatot, um, and they are super integrated individuals. Um, yes, uh, this is not an exception. This is the rule where, where you know, an, 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 a migrant child is confronted with these super white and very, um, very much superior figures. Of course, the figures are the positive figures uh, connoting normality and control, and uh, the outsiders are creating the problems. The same one here, same, same script. Even if you have a slightly different script, and there are exceptions. In the history of Tatar, there are some exceptions, but they're extremely rare. Even if you have exceptions, what is extremely important is not that the employment is sometimes differently, you know, that the, that the bad guy is actually a German or a white person. That happens. The most important question is how are the borders of this dance reinforced or called into question? And that happens extremely rarely, that the borders, the outside, the extremism, those kinds of borders are called into question. This is one of the exceptions, and the exception is supporting the rule. This was, look at that image, this was the one and only time that a clearly recognizable non-white German became investigator in Tatort. He was in Hamburg, and he was only a few years. But he was scripted outside the system, literally. This is the first and only time that Tatort created an undercover investigator. Right? And this undercover investigator then also visually, as part of his role, is inserting himself into all kinds of problematic extremist, Islamist subcultures. Visually, again, a super catastrophe, so because the system reinforces all the othering that it does. That's the most important exception. We can talk about other very few exceptions afterwards. This is a footnote. Just a moment outside, going outside of Germany. US television does it differently. US television is better in this regard, massively better in this regard. There are other serious problems. But if you look, I looked a couple of years ago systematically at law and order, you know, you have to give it to American television. First of all, these people are diverse, right? There's already a very simple, very clear difference. And then you have to give it to a system of law and order. To Mike Ice-T, who made famous for his, for his song Cop Killer, make him an investigator in law and order. You know, that, that's the kind of irony that undermines uh, these very streamlined employments. American television uh, can do that. Another footnote. It's not just prime time in that sense. One of the most important, highly problematic arenas are the talk show arenas. These are, with one exception, you know, because I couldn't find them, these are talk show appearances. And this is also very difficult to forget while he's not often appearing in talk shows anymore. But these people, these are the right wing figureheads, right? Uh, that are, if you look, look at their performances at, at late night, and I'm not, I don't have a solution here, they have to be engaged. But look at their language. They are picture-perfectly putting into practice Link's system of sissy codes every evening. The, the, the symbols are all there. The ship, the sinking, the cars fall, the house is crowded. Every, every evening after prime time, you have this coming. And this one is our answer to it that I'm sure we all love. It's uh, the genre of, of uh, this is, I would argue this is our home now. More or less, maybe we're all in the closet, but uh, I, I, I religiously watch all these shows. Um, 
And uh, there is, of course, the hero that created the genre, and then, uh, you know, ZDF. Uh, this is now, I think, by far the best, because yeah. it's analytically the best uh, program now. Um, and then you have, you know, un other, other representatives, and there are many, many. This is our home. This is our irony. And here the problem is one has to look very carefully most of the time. Most of the time, especially here, uh, occasionally also here, that irony is doing nothing but reproducing the system, replicating the system without, with, uh, with a hopelessness and helplessness that is uh, disarming, but is highly problematic. It is the analytical moments, because, you know, as we know, this is not funny. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever laughed watching this, but the, the analysis is fantastically accurate, and it is still entertaining in a way. We have to, we have to imagine movement completely differently, we have to bring movements together that we don't bring together. You know, we have to bring together the existential crisis of an exchange student being completely lost in Dublin because, you know, they, 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 they lack, I don't know what they lack here, uh, certainly not uh, American English. But, you know, they have experiences of ex existential doubt in other movements that we have to bring together with the so-called migration of refugees. And we all have movement experiences. All of us have movement experiences. And some have been difficult. That's where we have to go symbolically. That's where we have to... We have to the system has to think in different directions. We have to talk about labor migrants very, 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 very differently. Um, you, of course, recognize the Chris, right? A very, very well-paid labor migrant. That's to Rondo, who I think. This is one of my favorite, absolutely favorite cases. When everybody talks about integration, I recently, I recently uh, finished a piece uh, for a Danish publication where I talk about some of these things, very condensed, and the feedback I get back from the editors is, yeah, but you didn't write anywhere what the migrants have to do. I don't care about the migrants. They don't have to do anything. Leave them fuck alone. I mean, this is my favorite example when it comes to questions of integration. There are 12 to 13,000 Japanese living in Dusseldorf. Yeah? This is a sizable group of people. They are very recognizable as others. They are totally unintegrated. Totally unintegrated. And nobody cares. Nobody cares because they're outside the system. They're not in Susikol. They don't register. Why do they not register? Yeah, part of the reason is they're very rich, right? But they don't register. They are, they are working in Dusseldorf for about 500 Japanese, com Japanese companies. They occasionally, they try to integrate themselves. This is this is Mardi Gras. This is their Mardi Gras contribution, right? Where they try to go Rheinisch, so to speak. But other than that, nobody cares. Everybody leaves them alone. They don't speak any German. Or they have their own institutions. This is an island unto itself. Nobody has any problems with that. This is possible. This can be scripted. Why? Because the system has forgotten about them. The system has no memory of them. So that's why forgetting uh, is often so important. So what, how, do we, how do we conclude? Failure is scripted. Failure as regards to integration is scripted. This is something we produce, not anything that comes automatically. We have to take advantage of flexibility in the system. And the system becomes flexible whenever there are new occurrences. One of the most nicely ironic developments right now is that the status of German, of German of Turkish origin has changed in Germany drastically as a result of the fact that there now are more recent arrivals who have problems communicating. So suddenly German mainstream society has a completely different element about their Turks because they understand German. You know, they, they are actually one of us. 
These are fantastic moments of fluidity we have to take advantage of. Very important is to break down categories and images. That's why I'm saying we have to bring together these things that for us are not together. Student exchange, you know, refugees from Syria, mesh it, you know, mesh it, bring it together. Um, that's the kind of catechetic uh, stories uh, I'm talking about. So we have to kind of cut across the categories and create identifications of com completely different trajectories, young and old, political, wealth. That's my favorite. You know, it could very well be that the system cannot live without othering. That could very well be. Then that's other people who live in privilege and can handle it. You know, therefore, the 99%, I think, was a very, was a very good strategy. Very important is agency and point of view, and this comes back to television. Television almost never takes the point of view, camera angle-wise and employment-wise, of the moving people. Almost never. It never gives them agency. It doesn't give them agency about production, television production. We're not just talking about the figureheads on the screen, we're talking about the people behind the screen. People, moving people we want to integrate, have to be able to tell their own story, prime time, with the best equipment we can give them. That's extremely important. And then, of course, that, that's why we need the multiple scripts of coexistence and integration. And then the last one is, a, is a, another, it's a dilemma. Uh, it's a seeming contradiction. I would argue that society should be ready to do two things simultaneously that seem almost like a contradiction. To honor the refugee like we honored the survivors of the Holocaust. You know, give didactic presence to the refugee. You know, they have suffered and we should bring them to the schools, to the museums, to our institutions. And at the same time, we have to forget the migrant. We have to forget the lack of equality, the hierarchy, uh, the stigma of migration. And those two things have to happen simultaneously. I think they can because our memory culture has many, many, many registers and many different levels. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank mm -hmm. you.